Hi, this is Jay Baer of Convince and Convert Consulting, and welcome to the new Content Experience Show. Content Experience is the new content marketing. It's not only about reaching audiences where they are, but engaging them with personalized, useful content that matters. On the Content Experience Show, we share strategies, tips, and real-world examples of how leaders are taking their content marketing to the next level. Now, here's your hosts, Randy Frisch from Uberflip and Anna Harak from Convince and Convert Consulting. Welcome to ConX, the Content Experience Show. I'm Randy Frisch, and I've got Anna Rack joining me for Convince to Convert. And today was kind of fun. Like, this is to give you a little heads up of what's coming. And Anna and I had a fun conversation with two gentlemen, Adam Rosso and Jonathan Fuda. And they're at a company called Threadline Digital, which uh, touches on an area we, we don't go into a lot of, right? We talk sometimes, Anna, about the importance of understanding what content's working, but I think we get really into the data and, and how we're mapping that to our automation systems. But what these gentlemen have been doing is taking more of the lens of how is this content creating an emotional bond with your audience? And I, I don't know. I don't know if we actually do that enough. We say we want to do it, but do we do it enough? Yeah, it's really cool. Some of the things that we get to talk about today. And I agree. I don't think we are doing that enough. I think especially coming from my background in agencies, you know, I've seen measurement done a million and one different ways. And the way that they talk about it is really unique with just experiences and emotional measurement. And it's a totally different approach, but still very useful and usable to pretty much any marketer out there. Absolutely. I mean, you go back to, to where I was starting there with this idea that when we when we create a piece of content, we all sit around and we strategize, like, who are we trying to connect with? What do we want them to feel but then when we go to measure, all we look at is often, as they called it, or we all called it, vanity metrics. It's like, did we have enough likes? Did we have enough you know, click-throughs? But did we actually succeed in swaying the opinion of that audience? And you know, what they've been doing at Threadline Digital is, is taking a very survey-based approach to actually engage with you know, the people who are, have taking in some of that content and understanding what the outcomes have been. And it's something that I, I wonder how many marketers have had the time to dig into. Yeah, it's a really good point. As we talked about earlier, actually later in the episode, we cited the fact that in the Content Marketing Institute, every single year, measuring content effectiveness and ROI is a top challenge for marketers. And it's so it's something that we all deal with. And it's something that we all struggle with. And you're right, Randy, we pour all of this time and energy into creative briefs that are beautiful and talk about what content should achieve. But how often do we actually go out and measure what we set out to achieve exactly the way we wanted to achieve it? It's probably most likely never. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's rare that we get to see. I mean, you know, we didn't touch on this, but you know, sometimes maybe we'll see it in the comments that come from a from a post if we have commentary on our blog post or or asset that we put out. Sometimes maybe on LinkedIn or you know, you and I when we're out at events, we may run into people who say, "Oh, I love the content you do. It really right. you know hits me." But I, I would bet that that these are rare opportunities, and how many of those actually get back to our team? So you know, without kind of ruining the podcast because these guys are truly experts. Why don't we roll with it? And I believe you introed them. So we'll, we'll jump right to this past week's episode. Mm-hmm. 
Hey, Adam and Jonathan, thank you so much for joining us today. It's so great to have you here. Great to be here. Thank you. Yeah. So we got to know each other a little bit before we started recording, but just so everybody else out there can get to know you a little bit, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and Threadline Digital? Yeah, sure. I'll go first. Uh, so we'll start at the beginning. Uh, I started off, and this is Adam, in uh, integrated public relations and marketing in New York, working for a couple of different agencies and uh Wound up moving out to Denver, I think it was around 2004, uh, to help found uh, a online market research company called iModerate and was with them for 14 years doing uh, a variety of things, uh, but doing a lot of marketing and communications um, and business development. Uh, met Jonathan along the way, and uh, we started Threadline Digital about 18 months ago. Yeah, that sounds about right. <clears throat> At the time, I'm um this Jonathan, I was working at a strategic consultancy, the Benson Strategy Group, um, kind of next door to Adam, um, working on corporate and political opinion research, um, doing kind of high level communication studies, um, trying to hone in on messaging, things like that, working mainly uh, in methodology and product development. And uh, we hit on a pretty interesting methodology, decided that made sense to be its own offering that, that it could really stand alone. Um, and yeah, about 18 months ago, we took it off and then started Threadline Digital. Nice. I love that you focus on content measurement. How did you even come to sort of just this specialty? Because I'm, I love it. I'm a huge fan of it. But just curious how you kind of came to this place of really providing marketers with the metrics that matter. You know, it's one of those funny things that kind of was a mistake at first. Um, you know, we were talking about the best use for this type of methodology, this kind of product offering. Um, and we had initially been looking at really digital advertising and, and the larger digital advertising market and how we could help test the effectiveness of, you know, display ad campaigns. And as you might know, that that's a bit more of a crowded marketplace. There's some pretty large market research firms out there that do those kinds of studies. And we were looking at just the broader digital marketing uh, industry right now and found, you know, we saw content marketing was was growing and growing and growing. Um, and it also really aligned with the types of attributes and, and goals that we can really measure quite well. Um, you know, those atmospheric top of the funnel type of campaigns, you know, content marketing is really well suited for that. And we saw that, you know, there's just not a lot out there that can help marketers measure those objectives. And that's kind of how we hit on it. We were, I think, sitting on the couch one day and decide, hey, you know, this this makes sense. No one else uh no one else is really focusing on this. Yeah. And just to piggyback on that, uh, in my former life at iModerate, uh, we did a lot of top of the funnel content marketing geared around uh, thought leadership and, and gaining some some brand awareness um, and, and, and kind of shifting perceptions um, of what we do in the industry and who we are. And I myself was frustrated uh, by the inability to really understand the impact that that was having on the iModerate brand and, you know, trying to figure out all these different attribution models and using, uh, you know, marketing automation systems and CRMs and Salesforce, uh, but still found a ton of holes. Um, so it really resonated with me as well as we went down the line. What I find cool is that you're coming to this as a previous CMO. 
right? Like I, I love that, Adam, and, and that you know you you come with that lens as you call it around multi-touch attribution and trying to understand all of this. So maybe you can you know help us understand the approach you're taking because I think a lot of marketing leaders right now are struggling with you know how big of a data set should we be looking at when we try and, and assess whether something's working or not, right? Like the number of times that, uh, you know, someone on my team will say like, this is trending the right way, but we only have like one day of data, right? I really want like two weeks of data to really understand this. So how do you, how do you decide these days in the, in the AI world when it's enough data? Yeah. And, and, you know, I think we do have enough data, truth be told. I think sometimes it's it's data overload, just kind of sitting in the, the CMO seat. Um, again, with big data, all the behavioral data you've got, everything kind of coming in, all those different streams. I think the key is what's the right data? Um, and, and that's the data that really aligns with the goals. Uh, and that's really the problem that we saw and, and that I faced as uh, the marketing leader at iModerate. Um, when we were doing these brand awareness campaigns through content and, and you know, trying to get uh, some thought leadership pieces out there and doing different research reports, we were still really looking at uh, clicks and page views, uh, time on site, different engagement metrics, when really the goals, again, were to uh, generate awareness, uh, to build our reputation as thought leaders. And it was really challenging and, and still is, frankly, to say, you know, we got a thousand people coming to this uh, specific white paper or this piece of content. And they spent an average of, you know, three minutes and 30 seconds uh, on our website. How am I supposed to tie that all together and say that that had a positive impact on the brand? And that's what CMOs are really struggling with today. It's not the lack of data. It's them not having the right data and the right insight at the top of the funnel. And that's what we're really trying to help them solve. I, lo I love this to death, honestly. It's, it is really funny, though, because especially if you look at every single year, when Content Marketing Institute puts out that annual report, whether it's B2B or B2C or you know any of the vertical ones they've done before, content measurement, content effectiveness, and drawing ROI from it is consistently cited as marketers' top challenges. And I think you guys really, I love what you just said about, you know, there's so many arbitrary metrics that people are looking to um, and really tying it back to sort of what do we actually want to accomplish and what do we actually want to achieve? How does somebody go about even... Um, maybe they are sort of measuring, okay, we got so many clicks or we got the time on site. Like, how do you actually get them to take a step back and really measure what is effective or even start to identify metrics that are going to be meaningful? Yeah, I, I think that's really tough because so much of what we've been brought up in recently has been these digital metrics, the time on site, the clicks, the views. Um, and I think it all starts with just having a really in hard look at your organization and looking at what each level of your marketing strategy is really meant to achieve. Um, I know a lot of companies are starting to look at the customer journey, right? And mapping out if you go to uh, content piece A, you're more likely to go into content piece B, which will then funnel you into C, D, E, all the way down into a sale. Um, and I think that's a great first step because then you can start looking at, okay, what is really behind A that led you to go to B? Um, and it's not looking at it as just a straight line, but what are the kinds of emotions or attitudes we're trying to evoke 
from each step of that journey that will get you to move through. And I think if you can look at it more as, um, you know, how is your customer going to feel when they're interacting with your, when they're engaging with your marketing versus simply as a piece of data on, on the screen that is, you know, a conversion or a click. Nice. Yeah. So basically, one, even just understanding how people are going through your content and what you want them to sort of that path to follow, like actually building out funnels and looking at how people are going to sort of to and through content. Yeah, I, I think just to to highlight that point a little bit, when you look at that traditional marketing funnel, right, you've got the middle of the funnel, you've got the bottom of the funnel. And, you know, the goals there are really all about uh, uh, generating leads, nurturing leads, converting leads. Uh, but when you look at the top of the funnel and you really look at the goals there for most companies, again, it's all about awareness. Uh, it might be about education, um, things of that nature. So if you get CMOs, content marketers, digital leaders to really step back um, and try and analyze and think about what their specific editorial goals are um, for their pieces of content, maybe their content hub, maybe it's their sponsored content, whatever it might be, and you get them to really break it down, uh, then they start to see the holes a little more. Uh, It's just like in market research, uh, you know, coming from that industry, Jonathan and I, uh, we would never launch something uh, without really understanding uh, the goals and the objectives. It's always the place that anyone should start. Nice. I feel like we are just starting to scratch the surface of this, but we've already gotten some amazing just gold nuggets from you guys. So we're going to talk a lot more about this. But first, we're going to take a super quick break to hear from our sponsors and a special message from Jay. Would you like free seven-day access to monitor up to 50 of your locations to help you see how your business locations are performing regarding online search, local reputation, competitor benchmarking, and more? Visit icuc.social slash audit. Again, that's icuc.social slash audit. Hey, friends, it's Jay Bear. Imagine experiencing all the awesome that is Connex, but live. Everything you love about this podcast, but for two days in three dimensions in a beautiful theater in Toronto. This year, August, you're going to hear from the best speakers about content marketing at Connex, a truly intimate networking experience with 750 marketers. I'm the co-producer of this event organized by my friends at Uberflip, and we're going to bring together brilliant strategists and brand marketers from all over the industry in Toronto. It's August 20th through the 22nd. Every single session is a keynote. The speakers have been handpicked by me. They include Andrew Davis, Scott Stratton, Tamson Webster, Amy Landino, and leaders from DocuSign, 3M, Blue Wolf, Pardot, and more. Get your ticket today at connex.uberflip.com. That's connex.uberflip.com. Use the promo code podcast to save $50 off your ticket. I will see you in Toronto. All right, we're back here on Connex and we're talking all about how to figure out if our content is working. And I, and I think so many of us are guilty of just trying to crank out more without taking the time. And uh, you know, you guys you, you hit on something earlier that I found really interesting and it's, you know, it's these wrong metrics that we look at. And you know, one of them that I remember always is how many likes do we have? You know, like, you know, we we wait to see for someone to add like another Facebook like or or, or LinkedIn like on the little uh, widgets that add this would would give us, but those days have changed. I think for the most part, what are you seeing? Some of the goals that people are coming to you with these days? Uh, yeah, I, I think it, it 
it is a bit industry dependent. So if we look at, let's say, the banking and finance industry, for example, um, they are all about shifting perceptions and building trust. Uh, people don't think too highly of the banking and finance industry these days. Um, so uh, the clients we work with and, and a lot of the uh, leaders that we're talking to in that space are really focused on showing that they're different, um, mm-hmm. that they're out there trying to help the consumer, that they're uh, big into philanthropy and, and doing a lot in the community. And again, building that trust. So at the end of the day, people will think of them when they're opening a checking account or when they need a mortgage. Um, really that relationship building uh, that that's really necessary. Yeah. So that, that makes a lot of sense, but how do you do it? Right? Like, I mean, to your point, you know, thought leadership is such a hard thing to prove. So if I wanted to say that I, I wrote a piece of content and I want to try and attribute that to goodwill or brand awareness, how, how can I measure that today? Yeah, I, I think the key is, and when we were starting this and looking at all the different ways to go about it, the key is you really actually have to engage the individuals that engage with your content. So the people that viewed the video or read the article or that were on the content hub, you can't rely on those passive behavioral metrics because that's all about the actions they took, not about their attitudes or their feelings. So uh, we, we, you know, we've developed a way to do that. And, and it has to do with, again, reaching out, surveying that exposed audience. So the individuals that went to the content um, and then measuring against a control group or a lookalike group. When you can look at how individuals exposed the content actually felt and compare that to those who weren't, you can start to see the lift that that content produced. Can you tell me a little bit more about that control group? Like I was following you a hundred percent and this is, this all makes sense. I mean, I, I think sometimes we we're too focused on big data or data going into our marketing automation platform and not the actual emotion as you're saying that this is creating, but, but how does the control group play in there exactly? Yeah. So it's really important for us as market researchers and, and just important in general uh, to have something to measure against. Uh, Because if we're just looking at the thoughts, the ideas, or the feelings uh, of the exposed audience, that doesn't really give us anything to go on. We don't know where they started, right? Um, So that control group is is really vital. And essentially what we try to do is find a lookalike audience. So people that are similar from a demographic and psychographic standpoint to that exposed group. In a perfect world, we want the only difference between the exposed group and the control group uh, to be that the control group hasn't actually been exposed to the content. So we can get a true read on the content's lift. Nice. So you're really gaining an understanding of what exactly audiences are responding to and what they're looking for. Yeah, absolutely. And that way, if you can isolate just the, the content as the only differentiating factor, then you can really start to dig down into how it is impacting people's emotions, how it's impacting the brand, and, and, and what it's really causing to the people who engage with it. That This is awesome because I think sometimes, especially on the creative side, sometimes content marketers, or at least really truly, you know, like editorial content marketers feel that maybe sometimes data is the enemy of creativity. Um, how do you sort of remedy this and help them help everybody see that data is really actually the way to get 
to creativity. And it's really the way to present the creative in the best way possible. Yeah, I think it comes down to the idea that, right, when you have very regimented, very quantitative data coming in, it kind of feels right in, intrinsically like it's going to be an uncreative process. And then maybe that is true to a certain extent. It is very rigid. But when you can look at what your content is really producing out there, how it's really making people feel, you know, that can only help you in the future produce better and better content. So if you can get a read on actually not necessarily just how many times somebody read your article, but what they actually liked about it and how it really made them feel, uh, then you can really start to dig in and, and change your production techniques and, and, and make better and better content, make better videos, write better articles that really are more relevant to people and, and present your brand in a better light. Yeah, and just to piggyback on that, we're noticing that uh, uh, individuals, whether it's digital leaders, whether it's creative, uh, they're inferring a lot um, from these behavioral metrics. So uh, you brought up an example earlier, Randy, about uh, you know how many likes does something get? Well, there's all sorts of reasons um, that I like something, just taking it to a personal level, on Facebook or a social media site. Maybe I found it funny. Maybe I found uh, the dog to be cute in the ad or the video, whatever it is. So you really have no idea. There's no context around it. And if I'm a creative, uh, I'm really flying blind there going forward. And it's not allowing me to really hone in on what worked and, and set a great strategy going forward. Oh my God, you could not have set up a better transition than what you had just led with. Because my next question was actually going to be about vanity metrics and how especially like what you were just talking about, you know, like liking something, but really not wanting to engage with a brand or really wanting to engage further, right? Like just because I like something doesn't mean that I want to then receive all of their ads. Um, how do how do marketers sort of get out of the vanity metric cycle? And, you know, how do we look beyond and stop um, sort of hanging on to those things that don't really matter? Yeah, I, I, th I think it's pretty hard to do, truth be told. It's pretty ingrained in the heads of digital marketers and, and even CMOs to look at those behavioral metrics and how people are progressing down the funnel. Um, so it, it's for us, at least, it, it's all about education. Um, and it's all about getting people to take a step back and think about what that like or what that click really meant. And, and if you get them thinking about it, at the end of the day, they're not really sure. And, and and they'll say this to a man, what kind of uh, impact that really had or, or what it did. Yeah. And, and to be clear, I think that in certain cases, a click or a conversion or scroll depth, you know, these metrics can be extremely valuable. And, and usually, you know, even in the case where it's not measuring exactly what you're looking to achieve, are still valuable metrics to have. Um if you're running a campaign that is purely about retargeting and then driving people to finish a checkout process, right? They have something to sing in the cart and they left, you need them to come back and finish that purchase. You know, then your metric of conversion there is about all you need. That, that is really your single measure of success in that circumstance. But if your objective is to get people to going back to banking and finance, thinking that your financial institution is a community leader and is investing in the community and is a philanthropic organization, you know, simply clicking on the site and, and reading through that video about your investment portfolio in the community doesn't really tell you anything. So you need to start aligning your goal with your measurement and you need to ask the question, do you 
about exactly what you're trying to achieve and not infer from a click what that might mean uh, when you know you really need to ask, is my company uh, a philanthropic leader? Is my company a, a, a community leader? It's all very interesting. You know, I'm sitting here and I'm trying to think to myself as, as both, both of you describe this, who on my team is responsible for this? And that's something I always try to think when, you know, we have a new idea or something where we're miss, missing the mark. And the problem I'm struggling with, and maybe, maybe one of you can direct me, is that a lot of what we're talking about is not traditional engagement data, right? So if we have someone who's measuring SEO or click-through rates or things like that, I mean, that's, is that still the right person to evaluate this? Or is it, or is it someone on the content creation side back to your point on informing the next asset to create? Yeah, that's a great question. I, I think, frankly, we've seen it be all over the board. Um, so Jonathan and I just got off the call um, with a content leader at a major uh, you know, CPG company, and uh, she brought in her uh, head of insights mm-hmm. uh, to help kind of vet this and to help kind of run the process. So we've gone from insights, we've gone to uh, analytics, we've gone to uh, marketing leaders before who said, listen, I am spending a ton of money. The investment is huge in this top of funnel content marketing. I'm going to take the reins here and make sure that I know that it's moving the needle and that I can validate my investment. Um, The creatives, sometimes the creatives aren't too interested in testing their own creative. Um, So sometimes they need a little bit of Right. I wonder why. Exactly. Exactly. But but it, but it really is all over the board. Um, and, and it's not something that's a huge, heavy lift to implement. It, it just takes a little bit of education to try and maybe shift the culture a little bit and mm-hmm. shift the thinking um, and really kind of break things down and, and be a bit more strategic. That's really interesting. I, you know, I, I think a lot of marketers listening to this are going to start to to question who should own this in their organization, which is something I always encourage, even our own team, as I said, to do. And it it sounds like this could almost live like with a corporate marketing team, depending on the size of your organization. But really, has to be something that the CMO is thinking about is whether we're we're investing in content just to you know get that next lead or whether we're actually building our brand along the way which you know is, is definitely a core part of everything i think marketers are trying to do with content and the content experience that comes with that so you know gents thanks so much uh you know jonathan adam if you can stick around for a few minutes i know we we love to get to know our guests and anna's got a couple of questions lined up for you so let's let's stick around we'll be right back here after a short break. All right, Adam and Jonathan. So we've gotten to know quite a bit about what you do on a day-to-day basis. So let's talk about a little bit about you now on the personal side. So I have a question first for Adam. So Adam, I know that you had mentioned um, before you are actually a both deadhead and a rap enthusiast, which is, it, it seems so polar opposite. 
I know you can't paint me with a brush. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I grew up outside of Boston and uh, was big into rap growing up in, in the 80s and uh, all of a sudden discovered the Grateful Dead uh, during an interesting summer at overnight camp. And I've been hooked ever since. So, um, yeah, m- my musical tastes, uh, you know, really span the span the gamut there, run the gamut. Nice. So based on those two sort of polar opposites, let's say somebody had never listened to The Grateful Dead before. What is one song you would recommend to them to get them sort of into the band? Yeah, that, that that's a tough one. I, I would say probably something like an Estimated Prophet or a Scarlet Begonia, something light. Uh, you know, my gut is selling, telling me to say Truckin' because it was one of their top 10 hits. But, you know, it, it's it's not my favorite. Uh, it might be a little too mainstream for me. My favorite song personally is, is Terrapin Station. I'm a big The Other One fan. So I, I could go on and on. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I'd have to think about that and be pretty strategic depending on who they are and, and uh, you know, how much jam music they really want to get into. <laughs> Nice. Okay, perfect. So everybody's got some good Grateful Dead recommendations there. Now on the flip side, on the rap side, what is, um, what's a group or even an album you would recommend people start with? Like what's one of your favorites? Yeah, so I'm all about starting with uh, Biggie. Um, I, I think, you know, his first album was fantastic. Uh, I'm a huge Jay-Z fan. Uh, you can never go wrong with Tribe Called Quest. A uh, huge fan of them. So, uh, you know, a couple of maybe the older school rappers, I'll even go back to a to a KRS-One is a great place to start as well. A distinct East Coast vibe here from, from Adam. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm like trying to figure out how Spotify is even figuring you out, right? Like as you're all over the place. It's, uh, you know, talk about the attempts to personalize content. I think Adam might just break the Spotify algorithm. They're like, ah, it's just like shrug shoulders. All right. So jumping over to Jonathan. So Jonathan, are you a big Netflix fan? Probably since before uh, they switched to digital. Yeah, I've been getting Netflix DVD sent over. And then once they went full digital, kind of never looked back from there. (laughs) Nice. So you're like OG with like the DVD mail-in subscription. Oh, yeah. Those were, you know, the old days when you had to wait a week uh, to get your DVD. Yeah. And then there was the brief period where some things weren't online and some things were on DVD. And, you know, you found it on there. It's like, oh, no, I have to have to wait a week and a half before I can watch that, you know, season two of The Sopranos. Yeah, no, I, I remember those days. I guarantee some of our listeners are like Googling that this even existed this time, because I think all all we know now is Netflix is a experience. But uh, it's like when I try and describe to my kids what it was like to go to Blockbuster. They're just like, they, they just don't. Why would you do that? Like, why would you put your boots on? That was like my Friday night in elementary and high, like junior high. So, all right. So now that we are all on Netflix and you're a massive Netflix fan, now that we know that, what are you binge watching now or what's coming up that you're really excited to binge watch? Because they have a bunch of stuff hitting streaming this month. Yeah, that's a tough question. Um, you know, I had recently just uh, got through the last two seasons of Veep, Love Veep. Um, obviously, it's not on Netflix, but it's on the, uh, the HBO streaming platform. Um but I finished that last weekend, so I'm kind of in one of those tough transition periods trying to find something. Um, you know, I, I might end up going back and rewatching some of the old uh, sitcoms that are on there, um, Office, Parks and Rec. Um, you know, they took off a couple of my older favorite ones, but, but those are always good standbys that you can throw on and, uh, you know, kind of watch in the background when you're doing something else. 
but yeah, I'm, I'm actually looking out for another, you know, solid meaty, you know, hour long drama that I can, you know, watch six hours of in a weekend. This David Letterman series on Netflix too mm. has been fantastic where uh, I think every month or so they add a new um, individual celebrity, what have you. Yeah. It's like a surprise guest or something like that. Yeah, absolutely. And they've, I've watched it it's been four or five of them. They've been fantastic. That's amazing. Well, guys, thank you so much for taking the time to join us. It was, it was great to get to know you a bit at the end here. And, uh, you know, maybe I'll, I'll let the two of you together decide. We'll see how in unison you are. We know you aren't on music, but, uh, you know, on, on a single call to action, like where, where should people go to, to learn more about your business or yourselves? Yeah, I, I would just go right to the website. Uh, so www.threadlinedigital, uh, T-H-R-E-A-D-L-I-N-E, digital.com. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. And thank you to everyone who tunes into this podcast for taking the time to make this part of your week, listening in, tuning in, and understanding the importance of content, the content experience. And today, I think we got to think a little bit more about what content is going to work for us to build that following. And I thank everyone for tuning in, whether you find us on Spotify, on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play. When you can find us and leave feedback, let us know what we can do to make it better. Until then, thanks for tuning in. This is Jay Bear, and thanks for listening to the Content Experience Show. Please leave a review and subscribe on iTunes or on your favorite podcast listening app. Go to contentexperienceshow.com for a complete show archive and greatest hits. That's contentexperienceshow.com. The Content Experience Show is sponsored by Convince and Convert Consulting and by Uberflip. It's produced by my team and I at Convince and Convert. If you're interested in being a guest or a sponsor on the show, just go to convinceandconvert.com.